Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. It is Wednesday, the 9th of March, 2022, and I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. This is the 100th edition of the show. And I want to let you know before we get to our interview that uh, Free City Radio will be broadcasting once a week, starting this week, on Wednesdays. Uh, we will be sharing a new episode every Wednesday morning. And I'm working on sharing this uh, program with other campus community radio stations. Currently, we broadcast on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. on CKUT 90.3 FM in Montreal, and on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. on CGLO uh, 1690 a.m. here in Geoge, Montreal. On the program this week, I'm going to be featuring the last in a series of interviews that I worked on in collaboration with The Breach, um, a new media organization in Canada. These are interviews to look at the current political moment in Canada and what the possibilities are for activism in 2022 within the context of the liberal minority government and also more generally within the context of the current political realities in Canada vis-a-vis uh, the climate crisis, vis-a-vis uh, -vis the pandemic and growing inequality. I spoke with Chris Gussin, uh, who is the digital organizer for 350.org in Canada. This is a climate justice organization. Uh, they are currently campaigning for the just transition policy that uh, actually, in fact, the current Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, campaigned on but has not acted on. Uh, 350 exists in the broader ecosystem of environmental justice movements, and I thought it'd be interesting to feature their voice as part of this series. Uh, really, the goal has been to highlight different activists um, reflecting on what possibilities are for organizing and winning concrete victories on the part of social movements uh, in the current political context. Also in this interview, uh, we hear about the ongoing realities of the Canadian government supporting major oil and gas pipelines uh, that are being built on Indigenous territories like uh, the nation of the Wet'suwet'en, uh, where we see the coastal gas link pipeline being built, uh, or the Trans Mountain pipeline being built on the Sukwukmuk nation's territory. I would encourage you to look up the archives of Free City Radio to hear some specific interviews with Indigenous climate justice activists specifically speaking on these struggles against oil and gas pipelines being built on indigenous lands. Our archives are at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. So thanks again for tuning in. Here's my conversation with climate justice activist Chris Gussin. Chris, if you could just first start by uh, introducing yourself and for people who might not be familiar uh, with 350, uh, just give us a basic breakdown as to the organization and uh, the work that you're doing around climate justice. Sure, my name is Chris Gussin. I'm a Canada digital organizer for 350.org. Um, so 350 uh, has existed for over a decade now fighting to directly challenge the power of the fossil fuel industry and keep fossil fuels in the ground. Um, here in Canada, we are actively campaigning uh, for a just transition. So really trying to put pressure on the federal government to deliver on their promises of a just transition, uh, rapid shift away from fossil fuels that puts workers and communities first. There's a lot of points in there. Thanks for the breakdown. Um, 
So if we think about um, a just transition and this political moment, uh, maybe we can start there. Uh, sure. Great. Um, so we're in a context where we see a weakened liberal government in terms of another minority parliament. Uh, we also see sort of a trajectory of um, social movement groups, including environmental justice groups, pushing for... Um, you know, basically some some gains within this context. So obviously, you know, uh, community organizing and even, you know, institutions like 350 sit outside of political parties directly, but there's a role that environmental justice groups can play in terms of pressuring uh, the government on, you know, a variety of issues around the climate and their promises, as you mentioned. So I'm just wondering, like, do you see this moment as, is there possibilities in this political situation? Um, I'm just wondering if you have any reflections on that. Uh, yeah, I think there uh, is a lot of possibility uh, in this situation. People can feel uh, that we're in a crisis, whether their main issue is environmental concerns uh, and climate, or if they're you know, experiencing the government's mishandling of the pandemic, uh, or you know, experiencing this the rising inequality that we're facing as a society. Um, so people, more and more people, are waking up to that and realizing that something has to give. Um, and uh, we're certainly seeing it in terms of uh, our base and the people that we engage with uh, in the public. Uh, there are um, folks every week who take action, who had not done some sort of an action with us before um, and who reach out and try to find out how they can get involved. So there's definitely people looking for ways that they can be part of uh, mass movements and, and realizing that uh, the status quo is uh, not going to cut it, is not getting us uh, through these moments of crisis in a good way. So what are specific points of pressure that you think uh, could be directed at the current government in terms of the climate and environmental policy? So for us, uh, we are campaigning uh, really focused on the Just Transition Act, which is a specific promise that Justin Trudeau made in 2019. And so the way we view it, there can be no effective climate policy in Canada with, if, unless it is paired with just transition policy. Uh, we're not going to move as quickly as we need to move, as science says we need to move, uh, unless we put programs in place that make sure that we have the backs of workers and communities, uh, because the change that's coming uh, is going to be disruptive, whether we like it or not. And uh, so there's, there's a chance to really push the government on that. Uh, if they are calling themselves climate leaders, are they going to back that up with a concrete plan to get at the root of the problem, which is the continued uh, production, extraction, burning of fossil fuels. Uh, we, we know from the climate science that what we need is a rapid transition away from the use of fossil fuels. Uh, so we can push them on that. And then another specific example that's happened recently is the news that came out late on Friday about the Trans Mountain Pipeline. So that's an example of the liberals feeling uh, pressure uh, hearing people uh, at the doors saying that they are upset with the continuing uh, funding of, of projects like Trans Mountain, throwing billions of dollars at that project. So they came out and said it on Friday, we are not going to put any more public money towards this. So that's an example where grassroots pressure, where building this broad movement and getting members of the public to be vocal 
uh, about rejecting funding for fossil fuel infrastructure, that's actually paying off. And so that's somewhere where we can keep applying pressure and, and win. So just for people who maybe aren't tracking the details of um, whether it's um, the Trans Mountain Pipeline or the Coastal GasLink Pipeline, I think people would be surprised to learn that the Liberal government in Canada under Justin Trudeau is directing funds towards these pipeline projects. Uh, there's the news you mentioned, which is important. But I mean, if we're talking about the Coastal GasLink Pipeline literally the government purchased that pipeline. So can you just maybe just for people who aren't following trace tracing in detail, um, the liberal government's relationship to these oil and gas development pipelines, um, how are they involved financially? Sure. Um, so with the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, they are directly funding the construction of it of the project um, and the news that broke last week was that the uh, the cost of that construction has now increased uh, 70%. It's up to over 20 billion. It was originally estimated at 12.6. Uh, Before that, it was supposed to be seven point something billion. So the federal government in Canada, despite their rhetoric about being climate leaders, they're directly uh, financing uh, these projects. Um, and the same same goes with projects like Coastal GasLink. And of course, they are also putting uh, the RCMP uh, into uh, unceded Wet'suwet'en territory in order to try to push this project through and try to quash uh, resistance to the pipeline. Um, and it's not something that they uh, make they boast about because they like to burnish their reputation as climate leaders. They like to go on the world stage and uh, talk about uh, everything that Canada is doing, Canada's back. Um, but the record speaks for itself. Um, we're continuing to uh, be a leader uh, among G7 countries in terms of public financing for uh, fossil fuel projects. Uh, and uh, our emissions aren't going down. So, you know, the um, Liberals have been in power for, you know, over half a decade now, and they haven't uh, got the results that we desperately need. In this context, um, you know, of course, highlighting the fact that Indigenous land defenders are on the front lines of these uh, campaigns and also ongoing protest actions to oppose these pipelines. I'm wondering, like, in this context where we see continued opposition, what role um, can activists play in terms of, you know, like through an institution like 350.org, there's many other, you know, allied institutions. Um, there's Indigenous Climate Action, who we spoke to for this series. Um, you know, many networks exist, but uh, I guess I'm wondering, Chris, in your opinion, like what are, do you have any specific ideas as or like campaigning that you think is important to do in 2022 and like things that you would encourage people to be involved in through your work at 350.org surrounding holding the liberal party to account on climate issues yeah so like i said 350 canada is really focused on holding the liberals to account on their promise of just transition legislation. Specific ways that people can get involved uh, are, uh, are, we have a campaign uh, to highlight the need for a just transition and we're gonna have a big day of action for that uh, in mid-March, so on March 12th. Um, these days of action uh, are 
uh, things that we've done. It's a tactic we've done before where you can uh, rally uh, mobilizations across the country in major centers and small communities. Um, and what's really effective, uh, what, what allows us to be effective in doing that is when it's not just about that one day, that one moment, but then there's relationships being formed through that. And we're actually building ongoing campaigning and organizing, uh, building connections uh, among people on the ground uh, that allows us to keep pushing. So we have a big flashpoint coming up, which is the day of action for a just transition on March 12th. But the idea of these is to rally and show public support uh, for bold climate action paired with just transition programs, but also to build relationships uh, and build um, support across movements uh, and bring new people into the movement so that they can build capacity to keep organizing on the ground. So just for people um, to sort of get a picture, just transition policy revolves around what a transition away from fossil fuels will look like for different industries, uh, for different communities. Um, can you detail that a bit more? Um, because those terms um, around just transition have been spinning out there, especially from Justin Trudeau, as you mentioned in 2019. Um, we've heard similar um, rhetoric in the US uh, around, you know, build back better. Um, you know, there's the build back fossil free campaign. Just transition means what from your point of view? From our point of view, just transition really means three things. So the first is putting people first, not corporate profits. So when big oil asks the Canadian government for more subsidies so that they can work on carbon capture technology and these uh, ideas that will allow them to just keep doing business as usual, uh, that is not a just transition. What we're calling for is putting people first. And uh, one of the first biggest parts of that would be rejecting big oil's attempts to scoop up more public funding as part of a shift away from fossil fuels. Um, the second big pillar is job creation. Uh, so yes, uh, there will be specific industries that are hit hardest uh, by the inevitable shift away from fossil fuels, but we wanna see the boldest, uh, most ambitious version possible of this legislation, something uh, that would have a green jobs guarantee or similar at its root. So essentially there's no shortage of work to do on this transition. And so we need to see programs from the government that help people retrain, get into those jobs and essentially guarantee a good green unionized job to anyone who wants one. And then thirdly is speed and scale. Move at the pace that the climate science demands. There's a big new IPCC report coming out on February 28th. It's going to be, all of the IPCC reports are frightening. This one is going to be no different. It's going to talk about climate impacts. And what it's going to say is the answer is to transition as quickly as possible away from the fossil fuel economy. So speed, jobs, and putting people first. IPCC, for people who don't know. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So that's the uh, world's foremost body on climate science. Uh, it's the UN report on uh, the impacts of climate change is coming out at the end of this month. I want to just say that I appreciate uh, what you've shared in terms of the efforts to build coalition around these issues, because mm. um, there is a growing understanding of the urgency mm. at that we're, that we're facing. Science, I mean, in terms of the science that you just mentioned, but also in terms of, you know, national federal policy in terms of the 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 very urgent issues that indigenous communities are sounding uh, daily 
Um, so last question in this context, Chris, can you talk about uh, what it means to be involved in these things? And, you know, it's there's no like one perfect approach, right? Like 350 is a broad coalition and I appreciate that, um, but there's a lot of voices involved. So why, um, from your point of view, is it important to try to build these broad coalitions beyond rhetoric? It's not a perfect science, right? Like it's a process. It's messy. Coalition building is complicated. Um, there's a lot of different voices involved, a lot of different critiques. Why build a coalition in this context? Building a coalition is absolutely uh, necessary. It's not just about lip service. We need uh, the broadest possible movement in order to win. Um, and it is messy. Uh, so there's an old Miles Horton quote we build the road by walking. And that's a good guideline here. Uh, we can't be obsessed with building uh, the perfect coalition. Like you said, um, we have to get going and roll up our sleeves and just start with the hard work of organizing and campaigning. Um, so we find in our work that building coalitions happens most effectively when uh, there's a shared action that builds trust and relationships. So something like the day of action that we're organizing for March 12th. It is messy, it's challenging, um, but it's far more effective in the long run than staying in our silos and, uh, and refusing to engage with each other uh, despite small differences. Um, a good example of that uh, that I was involved in recently in 350 Canada was involved in is this past summer. Uh, the intense wildfire season was a real uh, flashpoint. It, it mobilized uh, and woke up a lot of new people. Um, and here in Hamilton, where I'm based, uh, the local 350 chapter reached out to labor groups and they reached out to uh, Hamilton encampment support networks that's doing a lot of uh, work on the housing crisis and to support our unhoused neighbors. Um, and the resulting action ended up being this beautiful um, coming together of different movements uh, where people talked about their own concerns. They talked about the specific crises that they're working on. Um, but everyone recognized that the only way that we win is through uh, being unified, uh, solidarity across movements, uh, because we are calling for transformative change. And uh, it's not just uh, chipping around the edges. And so to, we need big, big coalitions, however messy they are, they are in order to win that. Right on, Chris. Thanks for sharing that website of your organization if people want more information. Uh, 350.org slash just transition. Uh, would be the best thing to share, um, especially with the campaign we're working on right now. Thanks for your time, Chris. Thanks, Stefan. Really appreciate it. That was a conversation with Chris Gusson of 350.org in Canada. Uh, this is part of a series of interviews that I've worked on in collaboration with The Breach, a new media project in Canada. These are interviews looking at the current, the contemporary political moment, um, the opportunities for social movements to press demands around climate justice, around the inequalities that were laid bare in the context of the pandemic, um, and a number of very essential issues about the future of our communities. Um, thank you so much to The Breach Media for their support on this series. Um, and thanks to the other participants um, for joining. Uh, including John Clark, uh, Syed Hassan of the Migrant Workers Alliance for Change, Rebecca Sinclair of Indigenous Climate Action. Uh, I'm Stefan Christoph in Montreal. Again, we share a new episode of Free City Radio every Wednesday morning 
and uh, it's a pleasure to share these programs with you. You can find our archives at Free City Radio's SoundCloud page, uh, soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. You also can find our program up on Spotify or iTunes as a podcast. And uh, we are uh, open to campus community radio stations broadcasting the program. So if you'd like to get in touch about that, I'm at stefan.christoff at gmail.com. And to finish the edition today, I'm going to feature some music from really a great artist, William Ryan Furch. Um, This is um, one of his uh, pieces of music. Um, I encourage you to look up his work. I hope you have a good day and a good week, and I'll talk to you uh, next Wednesday. Take care.
Unclean 